7 tonight, third message through the heroes of faith. We left off with Joseph. We'll be picking it up in Moses in verse 23. Hebrews 11, verse 23. Now by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. And by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughters, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches and the treasuries in Egypt, for he looked forward to a reward. And by faith he forsake Egypt or the world, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And by faith they passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. And by the faith of the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more should I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jethuthun and David and Samuel. And the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women who received their dead raised to life again, Others who were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourging, yes, and chains of imprisonment. And they were stoned and sawn in two and were tempted and were slain with the edge of the sword. They wandered about in sheep's skins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves on the earth. And all of these have obtained a good testimony through faith. But they did not receive the promise. For God having provided something better for us, that's the church, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask tonight that you just bless our time, Lord, that you would encourage our heart in the days in which we live in. We thank you for those serving in and around the building, Lord, those serving at at Arrowwood. And Lord, we just pray for your hand upon this nation, upon good godly men and women to step forth in the public arena. We just ask, Lord, for your hand to be upon our hearts, that you send the Spirit 
to give us wisdom and understanding on how to apply this. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents, because they saw that he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's commands. So as a review again, we are in this chapter because the writer to the Hebrews, this group of people that are wanting to go backwards rather than forwards in their faith. They want to trust in man-based religion. They want to go back to the former, and the writer is telling them, why would you go back to the shadow when there is the reality before you? Why would you want to go back into religion when there's a relationship forward? And what he does through chapter 11 is he says, listen, there isn't a group of people on planet earth that is special. That everybody has gone through the same things. And people in the Old Testament went through what you're going through right now, people that the writer is writing to. And that this life of faith can be lived. It can be run. It can be done without wavering. And so as we have journeyed through, we've looked at uh, the beginning of Genesis going through the patriarchs, and now we land with Mo. Verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now Moses' parents teach us That from time to time, God calls us to defy man's laws, to defy man's mandates. God values the innocent life, where the government of Egypt did not. They passed a law that killing the innocent was okay. Do you see that? See, sometimes we look at the Old Testament and we There's no way that it can apply to today, but it absolutely applies to today. When governments don't see that, we must as believers defy the laws and the traditions of men. And so these parents teach us that civil disobedience is called for when it comes to dealing with our children, especially with the government. You see, these Hebrews that the writer is writing to is looking for some kind of relief from the persecution that is starting in the church. And they thought that compromising and just going along with the government would ease their pain, but it wouldn't. And the writer says, don't do it. But I want you to see a couple of things here in verse 23, because Moses' parents are are important. They're raising Moses, yes, three months, but they're good godly people who are trusting in God and not government. What this tells me is government is not always right. Now, I know that that sounds like a shocker today. But guys, you're here at Calvary. Do you know how many thousands upon thousands of Christians in our country are not hearing that? They're hearing that we need to listen to the all-knowing government. And that government is right. And yet through the Bible, we see that government is wrong a lot. Like an awful lot. And God often calls his people to defy 
when it doesn't seem that the government is acting in its proper role, that is Romans 13, of righteousness, of promoting good and not evil. We live in a nation and a world where governments promote evil and not good. That right is wrong now and wrong is right. Even when there's body cam images. They don't want you to see everything. They want you to see what they want you to see. They want you to hear only the science that they claim is science. And from time to time, the body of Christ is called on, like Moses' parents, when you're in heaven, high-five Moses' parents. Thank you for hiding them. Notice what it says about them. Maybe you didn't pick up on it. It says that they were not afraid of the government. Did you see that? They weren't afraid to defy the king's command. And yet, how many people today are not going to church because the church is still closed? And that they're obeying the man. And yet, as we've already seen in Hebrews, that we are not to forsake the assembly of the body of Christ. I obey God before I obey man. And if man dictates a mandate, or he says, you can't meet, I tell man, like Peter and John, is it right for us to listen to God or you? But think about what Americans have been one to in the churches. What you win them with is what you win them to. So if you win them with all kinds of shows and whipped cream Christianity and that God is love all of the time, he is but he is a just God, and his word is true. And if we would just read his word, we too would be like Moses' parents, who are not afraid of the government when the government is wrong. And they were wrong here, were they not? And I think it's interesting that the government is sanctioning the murdering of the innocent. Did you see that? But there are Christians and churches marching with signs, pro-choice. And I look at them, and I think they handed over their kids to Pharaoh. And I look at this, and I say, man, the Old Testament is chock full of examples. Yet we're living in 2021, and we think that we have evolved as the church. We have not, because we don't even know the book that we're holding or not holding in our hand, or not that is being taught in the pulpits of America. And these parents, I love these parents, they didn't care what the government said. They protected their child. Now, I add this later on, that it is the parent's responsibility to protect the child from the government at all cost. That means brainwashing. That means propaganda. Listen, my kids are doing dual enrollment in the governmental educational system in Horry County. I'm not going to tell you what Horry Tech School they're going to. <laughs> Maybe you'll figure it out later. But the things that they tell me, I should have them come up and do a, do a talk about what is being taught to them today. And I don't think that parents have any clue 
what their kids are being taught in the government schools, let alone quote-unquote higher education. Oh, Eve, I, I want to finish the chapter. I really do, but I love to just camp right here. Because we are seeing parents hand over their kids to a system that wants to destroy them and tell them that they're just a mistake. They're here by happenstance. But I'm here to tell them that God has a purpose for their life. And that you as a parent, your role is to deprogram them if they are in the governmental system. That's your job. That's not, that's not James's job. That's not Alec and Maria's job. That is your job. You take that seriously. And fathers, that's what the Bible says about your role. Don't you let your wife do that. That's your role. Fathers, train up your children in the ways of the Lord. When you go in and you come out, you as a father are setting the example in the house. Why is that important? Because we're losing kids faster than anything in this generation. Not only to social media, but the exploits of the world telling them this, the dumbest, oh, I don't even have time to get into critical race theory. We'll be posting a video by uh, Vody Bachman, a wonderful pastor who has uh, written a book lately about critical race theory coming inside of the church, changing the church to social justice. The Bible doesn't know anything about that. It knows that you and everyone else on planet Earth is a sinner. It doesn't matter what your circumstance, it doesn't matter what your skin color is, and it doesn't matter your race. We are living in a world that they're pitting everybody against each other. I thought we got rid of that decades upon decades ago. But that's the enemy. And it all comes back to government. What is the government doing? How is it promoting righteousness? And if it isn't, then you defy that government. Just like, <laughs> woo, Moses' parents. Now listen, Moses is now in that system. By faith, Moses, when he had become of age, and when the Bible says that, it has the idea of reasoning, that he has this capability now to make his own choices. And those, those kind of uh, ages change in the Bible, but it, it's really probably up to about 20 years old because we see that when they're in the wilderness, those who could go in the promised land, could not, could not, could go were those who were 20 and under uh, with Joshua and Caleb. Remember that? Everybody who was over than that weren't allowed to. So it could be that that is that age of accountability. So that they, and, and by the way, hopefully that helps some parents in the room. You're like, well, I always thought that was 12. No, because there's some really dumb 18-year-olds. Anybody? Maybe you've got one. Maybe you were one. I was. I don't think I was smart till 30. Weren't you a pastor then? Yeah, but we won't get into that. Now listen, so look at Moses. By the way, this, this account, and we will maybe get through this chapter. 
Moses is incredible. His whole life is incredible. By the way, you'll get a mint if you know who is raising Moses at this point. His mom. His mom is the wet nurse. His mom is nursing him. His mom, who birthed him, but gave him over to Pharaoh's daughter, is raising him, is telling him, giving him Hebrew stories, telling him about the Old Testament, telling about the patriarchs. That's how he has a knowledge of who he is. Don't go down the Ten Commandments road. Although, love Charlton Heston. Everything about that movie, love it. But you know in that movie, it's kind of like he doesn't realize who he is. No, he knows who he is. His mother has been telling him. And he has this kind of dual life that he's going through right now. But it says when he became age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, what did he just do? Well, it tells us here in a minute. But he is a man that we're going to see. He had the view from both sides that people rarely get. He was able to see (laughs) true privilege, not the stuff they throw out all the time. True privilege, true royalty, and then on the other side, slavery with the Hebrews. Notice it says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches of the treasuries of Egypt, for he looked to a reward. So he refuses to then identify with Egypt. Now, we're going to see this in a minute, but Egypt is a type and a picture of the world. So at some point when he comes of age, are you ready for it? He starts to see the things of the world do not equal the things of God, let alone his people. So he starts to reject the things of the world. He chooses, verse 25, to suffer affliction, to be with the children of Israel. Notice, with the people of God, then to enjoy the passing pleasures. Please note with me, the Bible does say that that sin is pleasurable. If it wasn't, no one would do it. Amen? You ever do anything you really hate? You're like, yeah, it's called antiquing. Wait. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) No, you wouldn't do that. If it wasn't fun, you wouldn't do it. The Bible says that. And so he sees that, listen, there is pleasure in sin. There is pleasure in being Pharaoh's daughter's son, and everything that goes on with that. Can you imagine the food, the clothes, the cars? All right, they were chariots, but, and everything that went along with that, the vacations down the Nile, the temples, just imagine what it would be like. By the way, the queen, 95 today, in Britain. I mean, what is it like to be in that life? You ever watch those 
videos where they take you around with the clean and then the life and the money and all that they get. He's like, what? Can I just try that out for a week? Notice he says, it says that, the, that he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasuries in Egypt for he looked to the reward. Now, it doesn't tell us when this happened, but it happened. It probably happened before he fled into the wilderness and then he was there for 40 years on the other side of the desert. At some point, he realized, look at what he realized. He realized that there is a greater riches than the riches of all of Egypt. Egypt is the dominant world power. There is nothing that the pharaohs or the pharaoh court does not have. There's nothing. Imagine being in that situation. Whatever your heart's desire is, you had it. And he looks at that and he says, what is to come is greater than what I see in front of me. Okay, pause. Let that sink in for a minute. What I see in front of me is nothing compared to what's coming. We have a lot of wonderful things in this world, do we not? They're amazing. But what you see in front of you is nothing compared to the riches that are coming forward to you and I. Notice he says, he's looked to the reward. God is going to reward us for the faithfulness we lived on this earth. Moses teaches us that it's okay to reject the things of the world. Now, pause. I'm not saying, like, oh, that has happened for 2,000 years, that we just need to be monks in some kind of, you know, wearing burlap. And I don't look good in burlap. That's not what the Bible is saying. It's saying to be like Abraham, and we've already learned about Abraham, not putting deep roots here but looking forward to a place that God has created for us. And so Moses teaches us that it's okay to reject the things of the world, even with its pleasures, to do the will of God and to prosper in doing so. Not by monetary gain, but by having our spirit knitted together with God. Again, Moses saw the other side that most people rarely see. Solomon saw the other side, did he not? And he wrote Ecclesiastes. He writes, (laughs) let me paraphrase, it's all empty. My whole life had everything I've ever wanted, ever dreamed of, ever he had his own zoo. I mean, how, how do you get to that point? When you have chariots and stables and three thousands of this and that and so much silver and gold that the silver is considered like rocks on the ground. That's how much wealth Solomon has. And at the end of it, he said, it's just empty. It never fulfilled anything in my life. That's where Moses got. Moses saw what people rarely get to see. He saw both sides. Well, what did he do? By faith, he forsook Egypt, that's the world, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured 
as seeing him who is invisible. Moses knew that there was a God, and he worshiped that God even before God called him on the mountain and said, take off your sandals for where you stand is holy ground. Remember the burning bush? This is Moses knowing those things even before. So that's why the Ten Commandments is kind of off, right? Because we think he's in the, this is the first time he, Moses, right? And then, by the way, yes, thank you. It was a good impression. Um, do you know that the, the voice of God is played by Charlton Heston? Oh, you'll get jeopardy. Yeah, so Charlton Heston is doing the voice of God in Ten Commandments, so he's talking to himself and answering himself. So he saw him who was invisible. He believed in God before God revealed himself in the burning bush. Isn't that amazing? He continues and he says, By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So now the writer fast forwards in Moses' life 40 years. Now Moses is 80. God sends him back to Egypt to deliver God's people. And he institute, God does the Passover, which is a type and a picture of Jesus who is to come. He says, by faith, he institutes the Passover. Listen, by faith, what does that mean? It means that Moses, by faith, believed that putting blood on the lentil of a door would cause death to go by. Did he have any other information other than God telling him, if you do this, the angel of death will pass over? He trusted in God in something he did not know, but something that seemed foolish. Blood is going to protect this household? Yep. You mean the blood of Jesus is going to protect me from eternal hell? Yep. Doesn't it sound crazy? Come on, admit it, you're in church. Uh, yes. That sounds nutty. That a carpenter 2,000 years ago from Nazareth is fully God, fully man. And that his blood shed on Calvary for the remission of my sin and everybody else's sin and everybody who has ever lived on planet earth. That blood, precious blood. Notice, by faith, keeping the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the first one should touch them. The blood of the lamb keeps us being from destroyed by death. Death, where is your sting? 1 Corinthians. And I love this. <laughs> by faith, now we're out of Egypt, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Now, the smart people in academia um, tell us that they walked through the Reed Sea that was 18 inches thick or, or, or deep, so... You know, it really wasn't a miracle, um, so they walked through kind of a marshy area. What does this say? Now, I'm no genius, and I know what you're thinking. We know. 
But dry land to me is still dry land. What I find interesting is that it's not the Red the Reed Sea. It is actually the Gulf of Aqaba, which um, archaeologists have done some diving in and around those areas, found some areas, found a land bridge under the water, perfectly ready to take two million people across. But what I love about God is that he says, not only am I going to take you from Egypt to the promised land, to Arabia, and then up, but I'm going to do it so that your feet don't get muddy. It's dry ground. I mean, would we not agree that even if, you know, God pushes the water across and they have to walk and they're stepping on fish, octopus, right? I mean, they're still delivered. Granted, they got to wash off when they get across. But God doesn't do that. He completely makes us clean when he delivers us. Isn't that wonderful? He does. I, maybe it's me. These are the things that I think about. I'm like, God, you're so good. They didn't have to get on the other side and say, where's the hose? Can we have a, is there, you know how you come off the beach and there's that station where you clean your feet off? I mean, there was not one on the other side. It was dry land. And then it says, and then God covered up the Egyptians attempting to do so. And I don't know about you, but this is pretty specific. They drowned. They're gone. So that which was following them and attempting to kill them and take them back into bondage, God took care of that. Well, now we're out of that. We're out of the 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and now we're at, we're at Joshua in the walls of Jericho. It says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they encircled them for seven days. Now, I have to watch my time because these are some of the historical biblical accounts I just love. They, they warm my heart and they just make me laugh. And they go, this is the God, we serve a God that's got a sense of humor. And if you don't believe that, look around. No one would bring this group together. Joshua, by faith, listened to the Lord in the conquest of the promised land, specifically Jericho, making no military sense and how it was going to be destroyed. Now, can you imagine, after Joshua gets the command from the Lord's uh, angel, which was Jesus, and by the way, the veggie tails on this is the best because they're slurpees. Well, I'm not going to give it away. Just watch the veggie tails on this. So here Joshua comes back to the tent. All the generals come in. Oh, great, Joshua, you talk to God. We can't wait. Are we going to set up catapults? Are we going to dig tunnels to undermine the walls? Did God give you the formula for dynamite? What's the deal? Here you go. We're all going to walk around Jericho for seven days. At the end of seven days, you can hear the generals. Great. That's when we bring out the big guns. 
we blow trumpets and we yell loud. Does that make any sense? I just want to see the camera view on the generals. Did he just... How, is that, how does that make any sense? By faith, Joshua teaches us that God can tell us something that really makes zero sense. Kind of like Noah and the boat. Remember that? It's going to rain. What's rain? What's a boat? No frame of reference. Here is Joshua, the commander of all the forces, and he tells them that we're going to walk around the city for seven days, and it's going to teach us to trust in God even when those on the wall are laughing and mocking us and mocking our God. And again, this is where the Veggie Tales comes in because it's hilarious. You got peas on the wall, little peas, and they're throwing Slurpees, and they're mocking the children of Israel. What was that like? If you're a military general with a military armor, a sword and a helmet, and you're walking around doing that, it's like, Lord, this is like day number four. And I got to hear it again from those guys. But they do exactly what Joshua says to do. They do exactly what God says. You see, it teaches us that in the promised land, that is for us the victorious Christian life, that we can have success over the enemy only when we trust in God and trust in His ways that seem crazy to everyone else, even us. Has God told you something before? And you go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's crazy, Lord. But, I mean, you know, you've got a pretty good track record. So I'm going to trust in you, and I'm going to do it anyway. Even when the coworkers in my family are going to mock me and laugh at me, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to blow that trumpet in victory, and I'm going to see those walls come uh, tumbling down. It also shows us and shows those, those around us and those that are watching our lives that the battles we face and the battles that rage against us are God's battles and he wins them and we don't get any of the glory, it goes to him. I, maybe, maybe you haven't done this before, but if there's a situation like that, you go, Lord, uh, this, is your, this is your issue. This is your problem. <laughs> um, I trust in you to help me through this problem so that other people receive the glory. It's not Joshua that received the glory. You know how I know that? Because his name's not in that verse. There are, I mean, you and I, we, the Holy Spirit could be listing everybody's life right now, and hopefully most of our names won't be in the verses. Because God receives the glory, not us. Now, by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received spies with peace. Now, we have no idea when the Rahab, when Harlot the Rahab became a worshiper of the true and the living God, Jehovah. But it is clear that when she did it, she abandoned the false religion of the Canaanites. 
she left the religion of her family, her forefather, her nation, and she became a Jew. Her faith received a huge test when she saw these spies come into her home. Would she be loyal to her country and to her fellow countrymen, or would she trust in the Lord? She decided to take a stand on the Lord's side, even if it meant betraying her country. By giving friendly welcome to the spies, she and her family were spared while her disobedient neighbors perished. Now stop trying to apply that to today. (laughs) But isn't it interesting that at some point she became a follower of of Jehovah God? We We don't know how that happened. We know that word got back to her about what was happening with the nation of Israel. And so now these Jews are camped up on the other side of the river and she can see them. And she's heard of the notoriety of all of that. And she is a follower and she now rejects, she rejects the religion that she knew before. She rejects the country she knew before to be a follower of Christ. Rahab teaches us that even if a pagan prostitute can trust in God, not having any history with him, just hearing of God and what he has done through the nation of Israel, surely these Hebrews can trust in God with the history that they have with him. Isn't that what the writer is saying? Listen, you guys can't even trust in God. You have a history. She had zero history with God and trusted in him. And she was a pagan. And you know better, right? I love it when pagans come to Christ. You know why? We were all pagans. It's it's great. She trusted in the scarlet cord and the promise that it offered to her. Think about this. They tell her, listen, put a scarlet thread, cord, outside your window. And then when we come to blow up your city, right, we will protect you because we know where you are. And how about you? But these are the things I think about too. When all the walls come crumbling down, is her house the only one that's standing? And that, wouldn't that be funny? Like see, They all come down on a ladder. Could it be that? So she had a trust in a scarlet cord to save her. Does that fast forward to Jesus? We trust in the blood of Christ for the promise of eternal life. And then I love what he says. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail us. He goes, I don't have time to keep going through every single person in the Bible. And by the way, I I think it's interesting the people that are not in here and the people that are in here. And he'll list a couple of more for us. But I think about Daniel and Elijah and Elijah. I I think of great men and women in the Bible that are not in here. He says, Time would fail for me to talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jethuthun and David and Samuel, the prophets. Now look at this list in verse 32, something that you may not see here. I mean, you're talking about David and Samson and the prophets. These guys should get their own section, shouldn't they? No, but there's a common thread with all of these guys. 
You see, these guys had notable failures in their life. Big failures in their life. Hebrews 11 (laughs) commends their faith and lists them in the halls of faith. It tells us that weak faith or little faith is better than unbelief. And that you don't have to be perfect to make it into God's hall of faith. But I love that these guys had serious issues in their life. I mean, think about Samson and everything that he, that God had for his life, but he failed to measure up to his full potential, let alone David. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions. Daniel. That guy got some really good sleep that night, didn't he? How could you sleep in a lion's den? The New Testament says that Peter was asleep in jail when the angel busted him out. How do you do that? Well, you believe in the promises of God. Peter knows that he's not dying in jail, and Daniel knows that he's not on the menu for the lions. How about you? But I'd be like snuggling up the lion and this one's warm, pulling over his tail or whatever. You see, when I believe God, and I mean believe his promises, it doesn't matter where I am. God's got my back. Church, even with the next verses that we may not want to read, we're like, yeah, yeah, we love that part. Let's not get to the next parts. Can we just stop and go to chapter 12? No. Notice, quench the violence of fire, (laughs) escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned the fight the armies of the aliens. They became valiant in battle. I love this term because faith endows men and women with strength beyond what was natural and enabled them to overcome insurmountable odds. Like when I don't know that I have strength to do it, I keep doing it. I keep going. I'm like the Energizer Bunny. Verse 35, women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured. Oh, we don't like that. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. How many of you have ever read that and you really just didn't like that verse? Let's read it again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. What does that mean? They're not accepting to get out of being tortured. (laughs) That they might obtain a better resurrection. A good old dead guy said it this way. This is also a result of faith. Not that it brings deliverance to men or women, but that sometimes when deliverance is offered, it gives them a fine courage to uh, to refuse it. There are seasons when faith shows in itself, 
let let me me uh, read that. He says, there are seasons when it is witnessing in refusal and that there are seasons when there is um, witnessing in not refusing. What is he saying? He's saying this. There are times when we accept deliverance and that's God's will. And then there are other times where we accept to stay in prison, to stay through the torture, to go through that for what God is doing in your own life. Guys, you know what the problem with our with trials and tribulations is that when we're in the middle of it, that's all we see. We can't see the other side. We can't see what God's going to do when we come out of it, and you will come out of it. You're because we we are either in a trial, we're going in a trial, or we're coming out of a trial. They don't last forever. And he says sometimes people are not delivered that they may obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mocking and scourging, yes, of chains of imprisonment. He is telling the Hebrews here that are about to be persecuted in a massive way that those that have gone before them have already endured chains and imprisonment and torture and mocking. So why would they think that they can get out of it? So too with us. In 2021, in the United States of America, Christians all around this world are being imprisoned tortured, and mocked for their faith. Why do we think that we escape that? Because we're Americans? It's coming. It's in Canada. It's in Germany. It's in Europe. It's coming. It says they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They were wandering around in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. (laughs) That doesn't sound like the um, healthy and wealthy doctrine, does it? God wants you to be healthy and wealthy, brother. Just name it and claim it. These guys apparently had a lack of faith, yet they're in the chapter of faith. Doesn't that blow open their idea? (laughs) Uh, We'll leave that for later. That'll be fun. They were afflicted and tormented. And look at verse 38. This is how he rounds it out for us. And the world was not worthy of them. Amen? Amen. The world doesn't deserve people like that. It says they wandered in the deserts and mountains and dens and caves on the earth. And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. That's Jesus. But God, having provided something better for us, that is Jesus, that they should not be made mature or perfect apart from us. You see, we have been provided something better, seeing and enjoying the completed work of Jesus on our behalf. 
having much more reason to hold on to our faith and not to let it discouragement and tough times defeat us. We have Jesus. They did not. Guys, in the Old Testament, very few people were filled with the Holy Spirit. We, as believers, have the Spirit inside of... Do you hear what the writer is saying? He's like, come on. We have something better today than what they had. And you're complaining? They should have not made perfect apart from us. The idea, of again, is complete or mature. They could not be made complete until the work of Jesus had come. They looked forward to a Messiah, to Jesus and his work. We look at it from behind and enjoy its fruits. They looked at it afar off. They believed in something they did not see. We believe in something we have not seen, but we have God's complete word now. Now we have it in its totality. Now we have the red letters of Jesus. And Sunday, Jesus is going to say, I'm going to remove you before it gets totally crazy on planet Earth. Isn't that great to know? Let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you for the heroes of faith, Lord, through this chapter. We thank you, Lord, that we can run this race with endurance and patience. Lord, laying aside every weight, that's coming up in chapter 12. We thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you provide for us, that you strengthen us in these times of trial, and even when it is your plan for us, Lord, to sit in prison, to be mocked. Lord, I thank you that you are always with us, that your Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, that we have your complete word, and we know your promise, that your return is nigh, even at the very door. So thank you, Lord, for our time to be refreshed and encouraged by your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. We'll worship this last song. Read ahead in... Where are we? Revelation 3, had to think about it. Remember, we're reading about the church of Philadelphia, and we are going to get into the rapture of the church and how that is applicable in that section of church history. Let's worship the Lord. It's time. 